Shalom and welcome to the Hebraic Heritage Ministries Yeshiva Discipleship Program. We are going to be doing the first of a two-part teaching on the subject of what the rabbis teach about the Messiah and we are going to connect and associate this with the New Testament application. In the book, The Messianic Idea in Israel by Joseph Klosner, on pages 7 and 8, he writes regarding the concept of the Messiah, and the word Messiah in Hebrew means anointed. The Hebrew word Mashiach means anointed, and the implication is to be anointed with oil. In the Holy Scriptures, kings, Israelite, and foreign, and high priests are described by this word, for all of these were anointed with oil. Saul, the first Israelite king, is already called the Lord's anointed. 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 6. But the foreign king, Cyrus the Persian, is also so called by this term. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 1. Likewise, the high priest is called the anointed priest. Leviticus chapter 4 verse 3 and Leviticus chapter 5 verse 16. But other men also, among the greatest and most renowned in Israel, of whom we do not ever hear that they were actually anointed, are called by this name. In the verse, touch not mine anointed, it occurs twice in Psalm 105 verse 15 and in First Chronicles chapter 16 verse 22. The word anointed signifies the patriarchs. In other places, Psalm 89 and verse 38 and Psalm 89 verse 51 and also Psalm 84 verse 9, this word designates the whole people Israel. From these examples, we see that the word Mashiach, which was originally only another term for anointed with oil, gradually became a title of honor signifying somebody who was chosen because the act of anointing with oil was a sign of choice and elevation. So the coming of the Messiah represents someone who is anointed with oil, which symbolizes anointed to accomplish a task or a purpose, and he is Yahweh's chosen for this role. There are many in the scriptures who are type in a shadow of the Messiah. One of those who's a type in a shadow of the Messiah is Moses. Once again, from the book, The Messianic Idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner, on page 17, he writes, The authors of the Talmud and Midrash, with their fine national feeling, perceive the relation and connection between the Messianic expectation and the exodus from Egypt, between the Messiah and Moses. They named Moses the first Redeemer in contrast to the Messiah, who was given the title of the last Redeemer. They compare Moses to the Messiah in various phraseology. For example, just as Moses brought redemption to his people, so also will Messiah bring redemption. 
just as Moses was brought up in the house of Pharaoh among the enemies of his people, so also will Messiah, according to the rabbis, dwell in the city of Rome among the destroyers of his land. Just as Moses, after revealing himself to his brethren in Egypt and announcing to them that deliverance was near, was forced to go into hiding for a time, so also will Messiah be forced to hide himself after the first revelations. Just as Moses crossed from Midian to Egypt, riding on a donkey, Exodus chapter 4, verse 20, so also will Messiah come riding on a donkey. Just as Moses caused manna to rain from the sky, we're now reading from page 18 of the book, so will Messiah bring forth different types of food in a miraculous way. And just as Moses gave to the children of Israel wells and springs of water in the wilderness, so also will Messiah make streams of water flow in the desert. Not only this, but the acceptance of suffering because of the iniquity of others, which late Jewish legend attributes to the Messiah, is in the Talmud and is also attributed to our master Moses. This may be called suffering for atonement. Christian scholars call it vicarious suffering, and in Christianity this idea has become an important article of faith. So it's very important for us to realize that Messiah is likened unto Moses. Therefore, when we see and identify who the Messiah is, he must be likened unto Moses and be greater than Moses. What is the New Testament application of Moses being a type of Yeshua? John in chapter 6 is devoted to making the comparison of Moses to Yeshua the Messiah in the parallel connection that what Moses did, Yeshua is doing in John in chapter 6. Let's look at these parallels in this connection. To begin with, historically, Moses performed signs and miracles of Yahweh on behalf of the children of Israel. Yeshua, in his ministry, and in John chapter 6, performed signs and miracles of Yahweh on behalf of the nation of Israel. In Psalm 105, verse 37, we're told regarding Moses when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the wilderness that the sick among the people of the children of Israel were healed. In John chapter 6, verse 2, Yeshua is healing the sick. Moses historically did miracles in the sight of the people in the wilderness. We're told about these in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 through 34. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. There are many other examples. And also Psalm 78. Yeshua in John chapter 6, verses 5 through 13, does a miracle feeding of the people with five loaves and two fishes. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, Acts chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, which is a quote of Deuteronomy 18, Moses speaks about the prophet of God. John chapter 6, verse 14, it mentions the prophet of the God of Israel. Historically, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 16, verses 21 and 22, verses 26 through 29, Moses shows dominion over the sea. Yahweh used him to part the Red Sea. 
In John chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, Yeshua shows dominion over the sea by walking on the water. What's the spiritual message and application of showing dominion over the sea? In the scripture, the sea is seen as the dominion of Hasatan or Satan. In Ezekiel chapter 29, verses 2 and 3, we are told about Pharaoh, and he's associated with the waters, the waters of Egypt. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, we're told about the dragon sends water, but the earth swallows up the flood and the water. Ezekiel chapter 32, verse 2, Isaiah 27, 1, Psalm 74, verses 12 through 14, likens... Pharaoh and his army drowning in the sea to a figure known as Leviathan. And Pharaoh and him drowning in the sea and the defeat of Pharaoh is also connected to Leviathan, which has its association ultimately to the false Messiah. Other scripture references is Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 through 21. Job chapter 41, verses 1 and 4, and verses 15 through 34, talks about Leviathan and the people making a covenant with Leviathan. Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 19. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15. And then we're told about a beast that's rising up out of the sea in Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. So by showing dominion over the sea, it is personifying showing dominion over the kingdom of darkness and Hasatan. Yahweh gave man dominion over the sea when he was created in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and verse 28. Moses is the sent one of Yahweh. Exodus chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Exodus chapter 4, verse 28. Chapter 5, verse 22. And Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. In John chapter 6, verses 29, 38, 39, 40, 44, and 57, Yeshua is the sent one of his father, historically with Moses. Moses was used by Yahweh in the miracle feeding of the people in the wilderness where Yahweh fed his people with manna. Manna is the bread that was sent from heaven. We are told about this in Exodus chapter 6 verse 4 verses 12 through 16 and verse 31. Also Psalm 105 verses 23 through 27 verse 40. Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 9 verse 15 and verse 20. And there's a reference to identifying with this event as believers in Yeshua. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Yeshua refers to himself as the bread that was sent from heaven. John chapter 6, verses 32 through 35, verses 47 through 51. And then specifically, John chapter 6, verses 33, 51, and verse 58. Manna which is the food that the children of Israel were fed with in the wilderness, is a type of Yeshua. We are told in Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, and Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, that manna was given by the God of Israel to his people to test to see what was in their hearts, to see whether they would believe. Therefore, and likewise, in John chapter 6, verses 29, 35, 40, and 47, Yeshua instructed the people, he's the sent one, the, the bread that came down from heaven, to believe on him. Manna 
is the Strong's number 4478. Manna in Hebrew means, what is it? And in John chapter 6, verses 24, 28, 30, and 32, Yeshua is questioned about who he is. Continuing on and relating the concept that manna or bread is a type of the word of Yahweh or a type of the Torah. Once again, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, Yahweh said that man shall live by every word that proceeds from his mouth. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, Yeshua told us that bread is a type of the word of God, which man is to live by and to partake of daily. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 10 through 14, the Torah or the commandments are called the word of Yahweh. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10, he said, Keep my commandments or my Torah. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14, the commandments or the Torah is called his word. So the commandments and the Torah and the word are all synonymous terms. And so being fed with manna is being fed with the commandments, the Torah, the word. Yeshua is the living bread. It refers to, ultimately, Yeshua and believing on him. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, believers in Yeshua overcome and when they do they are given the hidden manna that is the the hidden truth of the word of Yahweh and the meaty things of Yeshua and the understanding of him continuing on and understanding that Moses is a type of Yeshua and how the New Testament makes this parallel and connection as it relates and is associated with rabbinic expectation Yeshua's body which he likened to bread or flesh is a type of the word of Yahweh or the Torah or the gospel. In John chapter 6, verses 33, verses 57 and 58, and verses 63 and 64, Yeshua likened to the bread and the manna and the miracle feeding and he connects it to his body, which you're supposed to eat or partake of, meaning you eat or partake of the Torah or the gospel. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 8 and 12, the children of Israel ate flesh along with the manna. Flesh is the Strong's number 1320. It's the Hebrew word basar. And basar means flesh. It can refer and mean a body of a person. So, therefore, when you eat the basar, you're eating the good news, you're eating flesh, spiritually. Exodus chapter 16, verses 8 and 12, the word flesh is linked with a body, as we can make the connection to Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 and 23, where the word appears there, and relate that to John chapter 6, verses 51 to 56 and verse 63. So Yeshua is the living word of Yahweh, or he is the living Torah. In John chapter 6, verses 55 and 56, we can associate this to John 15, verse 7, and John chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, and we will have this connection or this association that Yeshua refers to his flesh, which he calls true food, which is associated with abiding in him or abiding in the word of Yahweh or the Torah. Flesh is the Strong's number 1320. It's the Hebrew word basar, which is associated with the Strong's number 1319, which is also basar. And the definition of the Strong's number 1319 basar is to be fresh, 
to announce good news, to be a messenger, or to preach. And so, therefore, in Exodus chapter 16, verses 8 and 12, flesh, basar, was to be eaten in the wilderness. And so that is why in John chapter 6, Yeshua is referring to eating of his flesh. He's speaking about believing on him. He's speaking about following the Torah. And so we can see this connection of Basar being linked to the good news in the gospel. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 9, Isaiah 52 verse 7, Isaiah 61 1, and these verses are associated in the New Testament with Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 4, 14 through 17, verse 21, and Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 4 and verse 12. You can see by just making this association that Moses is a type of Yeshua in making the connection. We can do quite of an in-depth study just on that concept and that principle. So in making the association that from John chapter 6, which is comparing to the historical Egyptian exodus and the events in the wilderness and Moses leading the children of Israel, in John chapter 6, Yeshua's flesh or body which is likened to a type of the word of Yahweh or the Torah. And this is related to the Passover lamb, which was to be eaten in Exodus chapter 12, verses 3, 6, and 8. And Yeshua is our Passover lamb, John chapter 1, verse 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. So once again, the principle that Yeshua is speaking of at the sowed or the spiritual meaning is his body, which is a type of bread or manna, which is a type of the word of Yahweh or the gospel, must be eaten or believed in order to have everlasting or eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 31, verse 33, verses 55 through 58, and 63 and 64. And this bread of life, Yeshua, the word of Yahweh, the Torah, or the gospel, must be eaten on a daily basis, even as the children of Israel ate of the manna each day, Exodus chapter 16, verse 4, verse 15, verse 19, and verse 21, we can see this association to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. So in Hebraic thought, we have the connection and association of these words and these concepts. Yeshua spoke about his body, which he likened unto himself as bread that came down from heaven, which is associated with manna, which is associated, bread and manna is associated to the Torah and following the Torah and the word of Yahweh. And by following the Torah and eating of bread on a daily basis, you're believing the gospel. And by believing the gospel, believing in Yeshua, you are embracing and engaging in Torah life. And so we have the connection of all of these thoughts and all of these principles. Continuing on regarding the rabbi's expectations of the Messiah, the Messiah is also seen as a type of a judge, savior, and king. From page 19 of the book, The Messianic Idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner, he writes, Now when the cry of the oppressed people would ascend to heaven, the Lord would raise up a savior for the children of Israel. Thus relates and is the major theme of the book of Judges. The judges can be viewed or thought of as political saviors. They save the people from the physical enemies of the children of Israel. These saviors had the political characteristics of Moses. 
Samuel was the last judge, he also had the spiritual characteristics of Moses. The first Israelite king, Saul, the son of Kish, lacked the spiritual characteristics of a Messiah. The true prototype of the Messiah was the second Israelite king, who is David, the son of Jesse. The New Testament or the Brit Hadashah application is that Yeshua is our judge. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. I charge you therefore before Elohim and Yahweh, Yeshua HaMashiach, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Yeshua is not only our judge, but he is our savior. Acts chapter 5 verses 30 and 31 it is written. The God of our fathers raised up Yeshua, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him has God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it is written, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. David is a type of King Messiah. Once again, from the book, The Messianic Idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner. And Joseph Klausner was a Jew who lived in Israel and was a professor at the Hebrew University. On page 20 of his book, he writes that the spiritual characteristics of King Messiah is best represented in David, who is regarded as the ideal king of the nation of Israel. On page 21, Klausner writes that the term son of David, because David is the ideal king, is a title for King Messiah. He writes, not only did the name son of David become a standing title of the King Messiah, but the prophet Hosea relates and connects this concerning the Messianic era when King Messiah rules and reigns. It says in Hosea chapter 3 verse 5, Afterward shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. So the Messiah is likened unto David and is titled after the term David or son of David. We can see in the Brit Hadashah, or the Renewed Covenant, that Yeshua is referred to by this title, the Son of David. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it is written, The book of the generations of Yeshua HaMashiach, the Son of David. That statement by itself is claiming that he is the Messiah. Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, verse 15, and verse 35 also uses the term Son of David, Messianic titles, as it is written. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of Yahweh. Hosanna in the highest. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Now with your Hebraic background and knowing the expectations of the Messiah, 
by the rabbis and the term son of David is a term for the Messiah, now you understand when the people said Hosanna to the son of David and they didn't accept him as Messiah, that is why they were sore displeased. So Mark chapter 12 verse 35 it is written, Yeshua answered and said while he taught in the temple, how or why do the scribes say that Messiah is the son of David? Why do they say that the Messiah has the title son of David? Matthew chapter 9 verse 27 says, And when Yeshua departed there, two blind men followed him crying and saying, Son of David, have mercy upon us. They were proclaiming and referring to him as the Messiah. Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 and 22 it is written, Then Yeshua went there and departed in the coast of Tyre and Sidom. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Yahweh, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Matthew 22, verse 42, saying, What do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said, Well, he is the son of David. Back to the book, The Messianic Idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner on page 64. He writes and explains how Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is associated to the Messiah and him being the son of David. And over these redeemed and blessed ones will rule the king Messiah who is seen as a personal Messiah, a Messiah who is the son of David based upon Isaiah in chapter 9 verse 6 which reads, For a child is born unto us, a son is given unto us. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. In counsel is God the Mighty, the Everlasting Father, the Ruler of Peace. Yeshua is our Savior. And Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 32, it tells about Yeshua being the Savior in that he is going to sit and rule on the throne of his father David. It is written, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, ye shall conceive in your womb, and shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Yeshua. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And Yahweh Elohim shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, from the book, from Exile to Redemption, Volume 2 on page 6, written by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, he writes, This explains why Mashiach is known by the name of King David, as in the prophecy concerning the end of days, and my servant David will be king over them. Yeshua, as we just read from Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 32, if King Messiah is a term for the Messiah and this term is associated with David we can see once again the connection to Luke chapter 1 verse 32 that Yeshua would sit on the throne of his father David in the book the messianic idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner on page 101 it is written, and we can see how this individual personal Messiah is likened unto a shepherd. But we also find in Jeremiah the individual Messiah. In Jeremiah 23, verse 4, it writes, of the Messiah, And I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more. 
Yeshua in the Brit Hadashah, in the Renewed Covenant, in this New Testament application of what the rabbis explain is the expectation, the characteristics of the Messiah, Yeshua makes the affirmation and claim that he is the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 7 and verses 9, 11 and 16, it is written, Then said Yeshua unto them, Again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and they will be one fold in one shepherd. So the one shepherd who is seen as being the Messiah is going to rule and reign over the nation of Israel who is likened unto sheep. They were divided into northern kingdom and southern kingdom. So Messiah is going to rule and reign over his people. And when they do, that he will rule and reign over a united kingdom, even as David ruled over a united kingdom. And so Messiah will rule and reign over one sheepfold, and he is the one who reigns over them during the Messianic era. Next, we're going to look at the names of the Messiah. In the Midrash Rabbah, the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 7, page 137, it is written, The school of Rabbi Shiloh said, The Messiah's name is Shiloh, as it is stated in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, until Shiloh come. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 2, page 956, it says, Until Shiloh comes. This alludes to the royal Messiah, as it says of him, And unto him shall the obedience or the gathering of the people be. So Messiah is going to gather his people. And so that's why he's the good shepherd that rules and reigns over a united northern kingdom and southern kingdom. In the book Torah Studies by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson on page 78, he explains how it's the role of the Messiah to gather the exiles of Israel, and he connects this thought or this theme to Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall be the gathering of his people. Rabbi Schneerson writes, this interconnection between Moses and the Messiah is alluded to in the verse. And the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. In Hebrew, it's Ad, Ki, Yavo, Shiloh. This is taken to refer to the Messiah because the words Yavo, Shiloh, and Mashiach, or Shiloh come and Messiah, are numerically equivalent in the Hebrew. It's taking the Hebrew word in the numerical value of the Hebrew expression, which is called gematria. Every Hebrew word or every Hebrew letter has a numerical value. So this phrase, Shiloh, come and Messiah, are numerically equivalent so you can make a spiritual connection. The same equivalence also applies to the words Shiloh and Moses so that the coming of the Messiah is related to Moses. Because this is such an important concept, 
that Messiah is the last redeemer and Moses was the first redeemer and Messiah is the greater Moses and he does the works of Moses but on a greater scale. That is why it is so absurd to believe that Yeshua died on the tree to do away with the teachings of Moses and the redemptive work that Moses was used for in bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt because Messiah is associated and connected to the redemptive work of Moses. So that is why in John chapter 10, because of this association and connection, it says in John 10:11 that Yeshua is the good shepherd. And in John chapter 10, verse 16, that he says that through his work, there will be one fold, that is a united house of Jacob, and he will be the one shepherd over them. And that is why it says in John chapter 11, verses 51 and 52, that the death of Yeshua on the tree is related or associated with him gathering together the exiles of Israel, as it is written. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Yeshua would die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that he would gather together in one the children of God scattered abroad. So Yeshua is dying to gather together in one to unite the children of God scattered abroad. Who is the children of God scattered abroad? It is northern kingdom, southern kingdom. And so we see how Yeshua's role is related, but on a greater scale, to that which Moses was anointed with a task to accomplish when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. In the book, The Messianic Idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner on page 462, we are told that the Messiah's name is Prince of Peace. Rabbi Josie the Galilean says, also the Messiah's name is called Peace or Shalom, for it is written, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 5, Everlasting Father, Prince called Peace peace you know it's very important for us to understand that these scriptures is understood by the rabbis to refer to the messiah because they are often denied as related and associated with the messiah today by judaism in the book of redemption by moses nachmanides who went by the acronym of ramban on page 37 he writes Rabbi Yossi, the Galilean, says that the name of the Messiah will also be peace, for it says, Everlasting Father, Ruler of Peace. So, Nachmanides goes back to the same reference that we read from Joseph Klausner's book based upon Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5, and the Messiah's name being Prince of Peace. In the Renewed Covenant, we are told that Yeshua, his redemptive work involved bringing peace or shalom to the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have shalom, we have peace with Elohim through Yahweh Yeshua HaMashiach. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and verse 17. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who are sometimes far off, and this is an idiomatic expression referring to the northern kingdom, 
are made near by the blood of Yeshua because through his death on the tree he gathers the exiles of Israel John chapter 11 verses 52 and 53 and in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 17 he came and he preached shalom to you which were far off and to them who were near who are those who are near it's the southern kingdom or the house of Judah how did he bring shalom is because he came and died and made a way for the forgiveness of the sins of the northern kingdom and southern kingdom for breaking the covenant at Mount Sinai. In the Sanchito Midrash Rabbah, volume 4, page 120, we are told, quoting Isaiah 52, verse 7, that the Messiah brings peace. The rabbi said, Great is peace, seeing that when the Messianic king is to come, he will commence with peace. As it is said, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger of good tidings that announces peace. On page 468 of the Messianic Idea in Israel, Joseph Klausner writes and makes a reference to Isaiah 52 verse 7 once again, where he says, Great is peace, for in the hour when the King Messiah is manifested to Israel, he will begin speaking with words of peace, as it is written, Isaiah 52 verse 7, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that proclaims peace. We can see how Yeshua once again brought peace. John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And once again, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through Yahweh Yeshua HaMashiach. And continuing to look at the expectation of the rabbis regarding the name of the Messiah, in the Talmud, in Baba Bathra 75b, we are told that the name of the Messiah is Yahweh, our righteousness. Rabbi Samuel, son of Namani, said in the name of Rabbi Yohanan, three were called by the name of the Holy One, blessed be he, and they are the following, the righteous, the Messiah, and Jerusalem. This may be inferred as regards the righteous from what has just been said. As regards to the Messiah, it is written, And this is the name whereby he shall be called, Yahweh is our righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 6. Joseph Klausner makes reference to the Messiah's name being Yahweh, our righteousness, in his book, The Messianic Idea in Israel, on page 102, quoting from Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, which says, Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I'll raise unto David a righteous shoot, and he shall reign as king and prosper. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. So this is the role of the Messiah to gather the exiles of Israel, and this is the name whereby he shall be called. Yahweh is our righteousness. On page 103 of the Messianic Idea in Israel, and commenting about Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, Klausner writes, From ancient interpretations... And he's now referring to the Talmud, Baba Bathra 75b, which we just quoted from, and also Lamentations Rabbah 116. He says, It is possible to see that the authors of the Talmud and Midrash considered the two words, Yahweh is our righteousness, together as the name of the Messiah. 
And a reference to this is also made by Moses Nachmanides in his commentary on the Torah on page 412. He writes, And so also the name of the Messiah who will be called the Eternal or Yahweh is our righteousness. So from this we can see that the rabbis expected that the name of the Messiah would be Yahweh is our righteousness. Now the Brit Hadashah or the Renewed Covenant speaks about Yeshua being our righteousness. Romans chapter 3 verse 22. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Yeshua Messiah unto all and upon all them that believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30. But of him are you in Messiah Yeshua who of God is made unto wisdom. He's made righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 it is written, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So the name of the Messiah is Yahweh is our righteousness. Now from the Torah Anthology on the Twelve Prophets, volume 2, page 330, we can see that another name for the Messiah is he's regarded as a righteous branch. Once again from Jeremiah chapter 23 verse 5. For it says, For behold, I will bring my servant to bloom. This pertains to the Messianic king as it says, Behold, the days come, says Yahweh, that I will raise to David a righteous bloom or a righteous branch. Messiah is referred to as the branch in Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12 from the Torah Anthology of the Twelve Prophets, volume 2, page 367. Quoting from Zechariah chapter 6 verse 12, it says, And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, saying, Speak, saying, Behold, a man whose name is Zamak, the branch, or bloom, and from him will bloom, and he will build the temple of Yahweh. The one whose name is the branch will build the temple of Yahweh. According to Rashi, the man whose name is Zamak is the Hebrew word, that is the Messianic king. So the Messiah will build the temple of Yahweh. And the same reference to Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12 can also be found in the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 7, page 136. Rabbi Joshua, son of Levi, said, His name is Bloom, or Shoot, as it is stated. Behold, a man whose name is Shoot, or Zamak in Hebrew, and who shall shoot up out of his place and build the temple of Yahweh. The New Testament application is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. Yeshua builds the temple of Yahweh. It is written, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of Elohim. And you are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Yeshua Messiah himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord. From Klausner's book, The Messianic Idea in Israel, page 229, we're told that the Messiah's name is Son of Man. And this is from Daniel in chapter 7, where it refers and it says, 
beginning in verse 9, I saw in the visions of the night, and behold, there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of man. And this is actually Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. On page 230 of Klausner's book, The Messianic Idea in Israel, he goes on to say regarding the book of Daniel, after the composition of the book of Daniel, it was thought among the Jews that this son of man was the Messiah. This is not surprising. He would be a human being that could approach the throne of God and that could be given dominion and glory in a kingdom in whom all the peoples would serve and whose dominion would be an everlasting dominion could not possibly be other than the King Messiah. So Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 is also made reference to in Moses Nachmanides' book, The Book of Redemption, on page 16 he writes, from Numbers chapter 24 in the prophecy there, I see him but not now, a prophecy that Balaam made regarding the Messiah. I behold him but not nigh. This day will come when there shall step forth a star out of Jacob. This star is the Messiah, as it is said of him. And behold, there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of man. And Nachmanides makes reference again to this thought in his commentary on the Torah of the book of Numbers, page 283, where commenting on Numbers 24, verse 17, it says, There shall step forth a star of Jacob, because the Messiah will gather together the dispersed of Israel from all the corners of the earth. And it is said about him, Behold, there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of man. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 6, page 528, we can see the same thought. It is written, How do we know? The same of the king Messiah, because it is written, He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river under the ends of the earth. How do we know that he will hold sway on land? Because it is written, All kings shall prostrate themselves before him, all nations shall serve him. And it also says, Behold, there came with the clouds of heaven one like unto a son of man. And there was given unto him dominion that all people should serve him. Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. The Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament application, we can see in Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 and 64, where Yeshua refers to himself as the Son of Man. It says, But Yeshua held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Messiah, the Son of God. So what is Yeshua's answer? Are you the Messiah? He says to him, Yeshua said, You have said, Nevertheless I say to you, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And so the high priests who have been questioning Yeshua would have known that that verse speaks about the Messiah. Yeshua said, I am the one that that verse is referring to. So the message was very clear to him, what Yeshua was saying. Now let's look at how the Messiah is associated in the rabbinic expectation to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. On the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, Volume 7, page 22, it is written, another explanation. He said to him, I have yet to raise up the Messiah of whom it is written, for a child is born unto us. That refers to the Messiah. 
in Joseph Klausner's book, The Messianic Idea in Israel, on page 56, referring to the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he writes that there would be a personal Messiah, and what's written about him is, for unto us a child is born. And then Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it's said about the Messiah, there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse. Yeshua is from the stock of Jesse. He is the root of David. Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Concerning his son, Yeshua, Messiah, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So the connection is made between the Messiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born, and he's from the root of Jesse. And so the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament application, does make this claim. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and the morning star. And... Isaiah and chapter 9 and verse 7 in the King James Bible, after it says in Isaiah in chapter 9 and verse 6, unto us a child is born, it says in verse 7, in the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. In the book, From Exile to Redemption, volume 2, page 83, written by Rebbe Menachem Schneerson, he explains that in the Hebrew text, there is a Hebrew grammatical irregularity in the text because there appears in the middle of a Hebrew word, the Hebrew letter mem, which is closed. And grammatically in Hebrew, you only have a closed mem at the end of a word. It does not appear in the middle of a word. But Rabbi Schneerson points out here in Isaiah in chapter 9, which is, Verse 7 in our Bibles, For the increase of the realm and for peace without end. Our sages have taught that the closed letter mem, which normally appears at the end of a Hebrew word, in this verse appears in the middle of the word, and this closed mem is an allusion to the Messiah. We also find this mentioned in the Talmud and Sanhedrin 94a. Now, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore Yahweh himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. I believe that the sign that was given is here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, when it talks about the child being born. The sign that is given in the scripture is of the closed mem, which is a reference to the Messiah. Because it says in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Verse 7, In the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, which in the Hebrew there's a closed mem in this phrase, which is a sign of the Messiah, as explained by the rabbis. And so in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, in the New Testament application of this concept of the Messiah, Quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and you shall bring forth a son, and call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
So the sign is not only a virgin birth, which Matthew 1.23 relates to Isaiah 7.14, but the sign is also found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, when it speaks about the Messiah and him being born, and there's a closed mem in reference to the Messiah. In the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 3, page 238, the Messiah is seen as being a firstborn. It is written, I make the king Messiah a firstborn, as it says, I also will appoint him firstborn. Psalm 89, verse 28. You have to remember, sometimes since I'm quoting the scriptures and using what the rabbis are quoting from the scripture, sometimes a verse may be off by one from what it actually is in our Bibles, okay? So when you're looking up these verses, be reminded of that. Yeshua in the New Testament, in the application and the expectation that the Messiah would be a firstborn, Yeshua is referred to as a firstborn. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the inn. So in a literal sense, Yeshua is the firstborn son of Mary and Joseph, but he is also a firstborn spiritually. Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Now let's look at Messiah and Micah in chapter 5. From the Torah Anthology of the Twelve Prophets, volume 2, page 48. In quoting, and this is from a Jewish published Bible, Micah chapter 5, verse 1. In a King James, it's Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, though young or least among the clans of the thousands of Judah, out of you will one come forth to me who is to be ruler in Israel, one whose origins are coming forth are from ancient time, from days of old. Micah prophesies about the coming of the Messiah of the seed of David. And the commentary there says, from David will come the Messiah to me. He will be ruler in the land of Israel. And the Messianic idea in Israel by Joseph Klausner on page 77, he makes reference to Micah chapter 5 and says these words, Mikdal Eder, which means the tower of the flock, which is near Bethlehem or Ephratah. For from Bethlehem, Ephratah, the city in which lives the least among the thousands of Judah, will come forth one that is to be ruler in Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient days. This will be the King Messiah. The Brit Tadashah, or the New Testament application, is found in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, where it is written, And when he, that's referring to Herod, had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, that's the rabbis, of the people, and he demanded of them, Where is it that the Messiah will be born? So what do the rabbis reply? They said, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, referring to Micah chapter 5. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of you shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. In the book, From Exile to Redemption, volume 2 on page 119, written by Rebbe Schneerson, he says that the Messiah will be revealed in the Galilee. He says, The King Messiah 
will be revealed in the Galilee, and he's making a reference to the Zohar, Book 1, 119a. From the Sanchino Zohar, Shemot, Section 2, page 220a, it is written, Said Rabbi Simeon, At the time when the dead will be awakened and be in readiness for the resurrection in the Holy Land, legions upon legions will arise on the soil of Galilee, as it is there that the Messiah is destined to reveal himself. Why is Messiah going to reveal himself in the Galilee? Because, for that is the portion of Joseph, and it was the first part of the Holy Land to be destroyed. And it was there that the exile of Israel and their dispersion among the nations began, as Scripture says, but they are not grieved for the herd of Joseph. Amos chapter 6, verse 6. So the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament application to this expectation, is in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 and verse 17, where it is written, Now when Yeshua had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast, in the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. Matthew 4.17 And from that time, from where? From the time that he went into the galley. From that time, Yeshua began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. He revealed himself and his public ministry begins in the Galilee, exactly according to rabbinical expectations. Another understanding regarding the Messiah is that the Messiah will be at the level of Adam before he sinned. Well, if he's at the level of Adam before he sinned, that means before Adam sinned, he was without sin. So if he's at the level of Adam before he sinned, then he would have to be without sin. That's the connection I would make. Okay, From Exile to Redemption, Volume 2, page 121, written by Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, he writes, Messiah will be at the level of Adam before the sin of the tree of knowledge. This is hinted at in the verse describing the Messiah, where it says from Isaiah in chapter 52, verse 13, that he will be exalted and extolled and very lofty. The Hebrew word for very is meod. If you transpose the letters, it spells Adam. So the thought in the connection that Messiah is very lofty is that he will be at the level of Adam before Adam sinned. And in the Sanchino Midrash Rabbah, volume 6, page 877, it is stated that Adam's sin brought death to future generations. For it says, In the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And so it says, So he drove out the man. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24. Why did he drive him out? Because he brought death unto future generations. So the Brit Tadashah, or the New Testament application, is that Yeshua is at the level of Adam before he sinned, and that the death of Adam brought sin into the world. We find this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 and verse 14, as it is written, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed unto all men, for that all have sinned, nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says 
that the first man, Adam, is a loving soul, but the Messiah is greater than Adam. He is referred to as the last Adam, and he is a quickening spirit. Messiah is a humble servant, and the spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him. In the Torah Anthology on the Twelve Prophets, Volume 2, page 342, it is written, The Messiah will acquire his dominion, not by might, not by power of kingship, as do the kings of the nations, but by the Spirit of Yahweh. Similarly, Isaiah said, And there will come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, And he said, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, and whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. That's Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. So therefore the Messiah is seen as being the servant of Yahweh, and Yahweh puts his spirit upon him. And he said further, A bruised reed will he not break. In the Torah Anthology of the Twelve Prophets, volume 2, page 405 and 406, making a reference to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we're told that the Messiah would be humble. Zechariah 9.9 Exalt, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. The commentary is, because it goes on to say in verse 9 that he's riding on a donkey. The prophet proclaims the coming of the Messiah. The messianic king will be humble. As Isaiah says, he will not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Isaiah chapter 4 verse 2. So the servant in Isaiah chapter 4, the rabbis see as being the Messiah. He will come riding on a donkey and not lack for money since everything will belong to him. He will ride on a donkey as a mark of his deep humility. Now the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament application to this rabbinic expectation and thought is found in Matthew chapter 3 verse 16 and Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 and verses 7 and 8 as it is written. And Yeshua, when he was immersed, or mikvah went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. The Messiah, Yeshua, has the Spirit of Elohim upon him. And then we can see his humility in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, and verses 7 and 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, Isaiah 42, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the tree. So Rebbe Menachem Schneerson says in the book From Exile to Redemption, volume 2, page 7, that Messiah will be more exalted than Moses. He writes, The sovereignty of Messiah will be more elevated than that of Moses, our Rabbi. The above observation throws light on the two views cited by the sages on the verse from Isaiah 52, verse 13, which says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be uplifted and exalted and held very high. According to one view, Messiah will be more exalted than Isaac. And according to another view, Messiah will be more exalted than Moses. And the Torah Anthology of the Twelve Prophets, Volume 2, page 343, it also specifies that Messiah will be more exalted than Moses. It is written, quoting once again from Isaiah 52, verse 13, The Messiah is called a great mountain because he will be greater than the forefathers of the Jewish people. As it says, Behold, my servant will prosper, he will be exalted and lifted up, and will be very high. He will be higher than Moses, and he will be high above the ministering angels.
the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament application to this rabbinic expectation of the Messiah, is found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and verses 5 and 6, as it is written. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Messiah Yeshua, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses inasmuch as he who has built the house has more honor than the house itself. Moses was verily faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken after, meaning the Messiah. But Messiah as a son over his own house. So Messiah is more exalted than Moses, is what the book of Hebrews chapter 3 says. The last concept that we're going to cover is the role of the Messiah to bring restoration from what came into the world from the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. And we're going to see this by looking at the Hebrew word todot, which means generations, and we're going to see that in Scripture there are places where the word todot, or generations, is spelled with a missing Hebrew letter vav. When it speaks about the Messiah, the Vav is in the Word. So the concept is Messiah brings restoration. And the concept of what the Vav represents, in the wisdom of the Hebrew alphabet on page 94, it says the Vav is the symbol of completion, redemption, and transformation. Vav is the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and six refers to man as well. The Vav symbolizes defection or Completion, from page 100 of the Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet. The biblical exegesis often finds a special meaning implied by the Vav's presence or its absence in a word. Spelling a word in its complete or full form signifies totality and integrity. Spelling it in its incomplete or defective form indicates deficiency or imperfection. In the book The Messiah Text by Raphael Patai on page 144, he explains in speaking about the Vav in its existence and also its lack of presence. He explains, taking the Vav, that Elijah will announce the redemption to the house of Jacob. Everywhere in the Bible, the name Jacob is spelled without the letter Vav except for five places. And everywhere the name of Elijah is spelled with a vav, except for five places. Why? To teach you that Elijah will come and redeem the seed of Jacob. Jacob will take the vav from the name of Elijah as a pledge that Elijah will come and announce the redemption of the world to his children. This is Rashi's commentary to Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 42. The vav and its presence then midrashically communicates that it guarantees the redemption. In the Wisdom of the Hebrew Alphabet on page 95 it is written, The Vav in the name of Elijah the prophet is a symbol of the complete inner harmony that will once more be Israel's in Messianic times. Tradition teaches that Elijah will appear to herald the coming of the Messiah. His mission will be to establish peace on the earth as it says in... Malachi chapter 3 verse 23 in a Jewish published Bible, he will return the hearts of the parents to the children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Also in Mishnah Torah, written by Moses Maimonides in Hilot Melachim, the laws of the kings, chapter 12, section 2. 
Now, in the Sanchito Midrash Rabbah, volume 3, page 349, we're told about the defective spelling of the word todot or generations and where it appears and where there's a full and a complete spelling. It explains. But you will find, with the exception of two places, and these are the two places that's the exceptions, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, and also Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez, that except for these two exceptions, the word todot, whenever it occurs in the Bible, is spelt defectively and for a very significant reason. Thus the word is spelt fully with a vav in the case of these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4. Because when God created the world, there was no angel of death in the world, and on this account it is spelled fully. But as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, because of sin, the vav became defective and all the todot, or the word generations, mentioned in the Bible. But when Perez arose, his generations were spelt fully again, because from him Messiah will arise. And in his days God will cause death to be swallowed up, as it says, he will swallow up death forever. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. So, the role of the Messiah is to bring restoration. This can be seen by the Hebrew word todot and the vav. Here in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, I have the Hebrew for you, and you have the word todot. You see there's a vav. There's two vavs in the word todot. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 is before Adam and Eve sinned. After Adam and Eve sins, we have a defective spelling of todot. Either we have the vav that occurs at the beginning of the word, or the vav is at the end of the word. And in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, when it speaks about the generations of Adam, there is only one vav, and it occurs at the beginning of the word. Then we have the full restoration in Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. You have two vavs, and this is speaking about the genealogy from which the Messiah would be born, teaching you that the Messiah will come and he will bring full and complete restoration and redemption from the sin that was caused by Adam and Eve in the garden. Let us summarize and review what we have taught in this session, what the rabbis teach about the Messiah, and they teach the following. Messiah means anointed. Moses is a type of the Messiah. Messiah is a judge, savior, and king. King David is a type of the Messiah. King David is a title for the Messiah. Son of David is a title for the Messiah. And Messiah is to be a shepherd. The Messiah's name is Shiloh. The Messiah's name is Prince of Peace. The Messiah's name is Yahweh our righteousness. The Messiah is a righteous branch. The Messiah is a son of man. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, the Messiah, it speaks there about him where it says, Unto us a child is born. And in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7, the closed mem speaks about or in his allusion to the Messiah that appears in the Hebrew text there. The Messiah is to be revealed in the Galilee. The Messiah is a humble servant. The spirit of Yahweh is to rest upon the Messiah. The Messiah is more exalted than Moses. The Messiah has the status of Adam before the sin in the Garden of Eden. And the Messiah restores the sin that came into the world from Adam's sin. And in looking at these rabbinical expectations of the Messiah, we correlated and we saw that all of these expectations are recorded in the New Testament speaking about Yeshua the Messiah. So thus we can see that the Brit Hadashah or the New Covenant is a very Hebraic written book and we can understand it 
if we have a Hebraic background, to realize what is being communicated to us when we read the Brit Hadashah. So I pray that this message has been a rich blessing to you. We will do the second part of this message of what the rabbis teach about the Messiah, once again relating it to the Brit Hadashah in the next session. Remember also, and always, these words from 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him, he who says that he's a believer in Yeshua as the Messiah, ought himself to walk, that is, to live our lives even as he walked. And how did he walk or live his life? He followed the commandments of his Father. We likewise should do the same. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.